Chapter One of A Sportsman's Sketches. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tavarish. A Sportsman's Sketches by Ivan Turgenev. Translated by Constance Garnett. Hor and Kalinich. Anyone who has chanced to pass from the Bolhovsky district into the Zhizdrinsky district must have been impressed by the striking difference between the race of people in the province of Oryol and the population of the province of Kaluga. The peasant of Oryol is not tall, is bent in figure, sullen and suspicious in his looks. He lives in wretched little hovels of aspen wood, labors as a serf in the fields and engages in no kind of trading, is miserably fed and wears slippers of bast. The rent-paying peasant of Kaluga lives in roomy cottages of pine wood. He is tall, bold, and cheerful in his looks, neat and clean of countenance. He carries on a trade in butter and tar, and on holidays he wears boots. The village of the Areol province, we are speaking now of the eastern part of the province, is usually situated in the midst of ploughed fields, near a watercourse which has been converted into a filthy pool, except for a few of the ever-accommodating willows and two or three gaunt birch trees, you do not see a tree for a mile round. Hut is huddled up against hut, their roofs covered with rotting thatch. The villages of Kaluga, on the contrary, are generally surrounded by forest. The huts stand more freely, are more upright, and have boarded roofs the gates fastened closely, the hedges not broken down, not trailing about, there are no gaps to invite the visits of a passing pig, and things are much better in the Kaluga province for the sportsman. In the Aryol province the last of the woods and copses will have disappeared five years hence, and there is no trace of moorland left. In Kaluga, on the contrary, the moors extend over tens, the forest over hundreds of miles, and a splendid bird, the grouse, is still extant there. There are abundance of the friendly larger snipe, and the loud clapping partridge cheers and startles the sportsman and his dog by its abrupt upward flight. On a visit to the Zhizrinsky district, in search of sport, I met in the fields a petty proprietor of the Kaluga province called Polutikin, and made his acquaintance. He was an enthusiastic sportsman. It follows, therefore, that he was an excellent fellow. He was liable, indeed, to a few weaknesses. He used, for instance, to pay his addresses to every unmarried heiress in the province, and when he had been refused her hand and house, broken-hearted he confided his sorrows to all his friends and acquaintances, and continued to shower offerings of sour peaches and other raw produce from his garden upon the young lady's relatives. He was fond of repeating one and the same anecdote, which, in spite of Mr. Politikin's appreciation of its merits, had certainly never amused anyone. He admired the works of Akim Nahimov and the novel Pina. He stammered. He called his dog Astronomer instead of however said howsomever and had established in his household a french system of cookery the secret of which consisted according to his cook's interpretation in a complete transformation of the natural taste of each dish 
in this artist's hands meat assumes the flavor of fish fish of mushrooms macaroni of gunpowder to make up for this not a single carrot went into the soup without taking the shape of a rhombus or a trapeze but with the exception of these few and insignificant failings mr polutikin was as has been said already an excellent fellow on the first day of my acquaintance with Mr. Politikin, he invited me to stay the night at his house. It will be five miles farther to my house, he added. It's a long way to walk. Let us first go to Hor's. The reader must excuse my omitting his stammer. Who's Hor? A peasant of mine. He is quite close by here. We went in that direction. In a well-cultivated clearing in the middle of the forest rose Hor's solitary homestead. It consisted of several pine-wood buildings enclosed by plank faces. A porch ran along the front of the principal building, supported on slender posts. We went in. We were met by a young lad of twenty, tall and good-looking. "'Ah, Fedya, is Hor at home?' Mr. Politikin asked him. "'No. Hor has gone into town,' answered the lad, smiling and showing a row of snow-white teeth. "'You would like the little cart brought out?' yes my boy the little cart and bring us some kvass we went into the cottage not a single cheap glaring print was pasted up on the clean boards of the walls in the corner before the heavy holly picture in its silver setting a lamp was burning the table of linden wood had been lately planed and scrubbed between the joists and in the cracks of the window frames there were no lively prussian beetles running about no gloomy cockroaches in hiding the young lad soon reappeared with a great white pitcher filled with excellent kvass a huge hunch of wheat and bread and a dozen of salted cucumbers in a wooden bowl he put all these provisions on the table and then, leaning with his back against the door, began to gaze with a smiling face at us. We had not had time to finish eating our lunch, when the cart was already rattling before the doorstep. We went out. A curly-headed, rosy-cheeked boy of fifteen was sitting in the cart as driver, and with difficulty holding in the well-fed, piebald horse. Round the cart stood six young giants, very like one another, and Fedya. All of these horse sons, said Potikin. These are all horkies, that is wild cats, put in Fedya, who had come after us onto the step. But that's not all of them. Patap is in the wood, and Cedar has gone with old Hort to the town. Look out, Vasya, he went on, turning to the coachman. Drive like the wind, you are driving the master. Only mind what you are about over the ruts, and easy a little, don't tip the cart over and upset the master's stomach. The other horkies smiled at Fedya's sally. "'Lift astronomer in!' Mr. Politikin called majestically. Fedya, not without amusement, lifted the dog, who wore a forced smile, into the air and laid her at the bottom of the cart. Vasya let the horse go. We rolled away. "'And here is my counting-house,' said Mr. Politikin, suddenly to me pointing to a little low-pitched house. "'Shall we go in?' "'By all means.' it is no longer used he observed going in still it is worth looking at the counting-house consisted of two empty rooms the caretaker a one-eyed old man ran out of the yard uh, good day minyaych said politikin bring us some water 
the one-eyed old man disappeared and at once returned with a bottle of water and two glasses taste it politikin said to me it is splendid spring water we drank off a glass each while the old man bowed low come now i think we can go on said my new friend in that counting-house i sold the merchant alleluia four acres of forest land for a good price we took our seats in the cart and in half an hour we had reached the court of the manor-house tell me please i asked politikin at supper why does hori live apart from your other peasants well this is why he is a clever peasant twenty-five years ago his cottage was burnt down so he came up to my late father and said allow me nikolai kuzmich says he to settle in your forest on the bog i will pay you a good rent but what do you want to settle on the bog for oh i want to only your honor nikolai kuzmich be so good as not to claim any labor from me but fix a rent as you think best fifty roubles a year very well but i'll have no arrears mind of course no arrears and so he settled on the bog since then they have called him hor that is wildcat well and has he grown rich i inquired yes he has grown rich now he pays me a round hundred for rent and i shall raise it again i dare say i have said to him more than once buy your freedom hor come buy your freedom but he declares the rogue that he can't has no money he says as though that were likely the next day directly after our morning tea we started out hunting again as we were driving through the village mr politikin ordered the coachman to stop at a low-pitched cottage and called loudly kalinich coming your honor coming sounded a voice from the yard i'm tying on my shoes we went on at a walk outside the village a man of about forty overtook us he was tall and thin with a small and erect head it was kalinich his good-humoured swarthy face somewhat pitted with smallpox pleased me from the first glance kalinich as i learnt afterwards went hunting every day with his master carried his bag and sometimes also his gun noted where game was to be found fetched water built shanties and gathered strawberries and ran behind the droshki mr politikin could not stir a step without him kalinich was a man of the merriest and gentlest disposition he was constantly singing to himself in a low voice and looking carelessly about him he spoke a little through his nose with a laughing twinkle in his light blue eyes and he had a habit of plucking at his scanty wedge-shaped beard with his hand he walked not rapidly but with long strides leaning lightly on a long thin staff he addressed me more than once during the day and he waited on me without obsequiousness but he looked after his master as if he were a child when the unbearable heat drove us at midday to seek shelter he took us to his bee-house in the very heart of the forest there kalinich opened the little hut for us which was hung round with bunches of dry scented herbs he made us comfortable on some dry hay and then put a kind of bag of network over his head took a knife a little pot 
a smouldering stick and went to the hive to cut us out some honeycomb. We had a draught of spring water after a warm transparent honey and then dropped asleep to the sound of the monotonous humming of the bees and the rustling shatter of the leaves. A slight gust of wind awakened me. I opened my eyes and saw Kalinich. He was sitting on the threshold of the half-open door, carving a spoon with his knife. I gazed a long time, admiring his face, as sweet and clear as an evening sky. Mr. Politikin, too, woke up. We did not get up at once. After our long walk and our deep sleep, it was pleasant to lie without moving in the hay. We felt weary and languid in body. Our faces were in slight glow of warmth. Our eyes were closed in delicious laziness. At last we got up and set off on our wanderings again till evening. At supper I began again to talk of Hor and Kalinich. Kalinich is a good peasant, Mr. Potekin told me. He is a willing and useful peasant. He can't farm his land properly. I am always taking him away from it. He goes out hunting every day with me. You can judge for yourself how his farming must fare. I agreed with him, and we went to bed. The next day Mr. Politikin was obliged to go to town about some business with his neighbor Pichukov. This neighbor Pichukov has ploughed over some land of Politikin's and had flogged a peasant woman of his on the same piece of land. I went out hunting alone, and before evening I turned into Horse House. On the threshold of the cottage I was met by an old man, bold, short, broad-shouldered and stout, hoary himself. I looked with curiosity at the man. The cut of his face recalled Socrates. There was the same high, knobby forehead, the same little eyes, the same snub nose. We went into the cottage together. The same Fedya brought me some milk and black bread. Hor sat down on a bench and, quietly stroking his curly beard, entered into conversation with me. He seemed to know his own value. He spoke and moved slowly. From time to time a chuckle came from between his long moustaches. We discussed the sowing, the crops, the peasant life. He always seemed to agree with me, only afterwards I had a sense of awkwardness and felt I was talking foolishly. In this way our conversation was rather curious. Hor, doubtless through caution, expressed himself very obscurely at times. Here is a specimen of our talk. "'Tell me, Hor, I said to him, "'why don't you buy your freedom from your master?' "'And what would I buy my freedom for? "'Now I know my master, and I know my rent. "'We have a good master.' "'It's always better to be free,' I remarked. Hor gave me a dubious look. "'Surely,' he said. Well, then, why don't you buy your freedom? Hor shook his head. What would you have me buy it with, your honor? Oh, come now, old man. If Hor were thrown among free men, he continued in an undertone, as though to himself, everyone without a beard would be a better man than Hor. Then shave your beard. Eh, what is a beard? A beard is grass. One can cut it. Well, then... But Hori will be merchants straight away, and merchants have a fine life, and they have beards. Why, do you do a little trading, too? I asked him. We 
trade a little in a little butter and a little tar? Would your honor like the cart put to? You're a close man and keep a tight rein on your tongue, I thought to myself. No, I said aloud, I don't want the cart. I shall want to be near your homestead tomorrow, and if you will let me, I will stay the night in your hay barn. You are very welcome, uh, but you will be comfortable in the barn. I will tell the women to lay a sheet and put you a pillow. Hey, girls, he cried, getting up from his place. Here, girls, and you, Fedya, go with them. Women, you know, are foolish folk. A quarter of an hour later, Fedya conducted me with the lantern to the barn. I threw myself down on the fragrant hay. My dog curled himself up at my feet. Fedya wished me good night. The door creaked and slammed to. For rather a long time I could not get to sleep. A cow came up to the door and breathed heavily twice. The dog growled at her with dignity. A pig passed by, grunting pensively. A horse somewhere near began to munch the hay and snort. At last I fell asleep. At sunrise Fedya wakened me. This brisk, lively young man pleased me, and from what I could see he was old Horace's favorite, too. They used to banter one another in a very friendly way. The old man came to meet me. Whether because I had spent the night under his roof, or for some other reason, Horace certainly treated me far more cordially than the day before. "'The samovar is ready,' he told me with a smile. "'Let us come and have tea.' We took our seats at the table. A robust-looking peasant woman, one of his daughters-in-law, brought in a jug of milk. All his sons came one after another into the cottage. "'What a fine set of fellows you have,' I remarked to the old man. "'Yes,' he said, breaking off a tiny piece of sugar with his teeth. "'Me and my old woman have nothing to complain of, seemingly.' "'And do they all live with you?' "'Yes, they choose to themselves, and so they live here.' "'And are they all married?' "'Here's one not married, this camp,' he answered, pointing to Fedya, who was leaning as before against the door. "'Vaska, he's still too young. He can wait.' "'And why should I get married?' retorted Fedya. "'I'm very well off as I am. What do I want a wife for? To squabble with, eh?' "'Now then, you—ah, I know you. You wear a silver ring.' You'd always be after the girls up at the manor-house. Have done, do, for shame, the old man went on, mimicking the servant-girls. I know you, you white-handed rascal. But what's the good of a peasant woman? A peasant woman is a laborer, said Hor seriously. She's the peasant's servant. And what do I want with the laborer? I dare say you'd like to play with the fire and let others burn their fingers. We know the sort of chap you are. Well, marry me, then. Well, why don't you answer? There, that's enough, that's enough, giddy pate. You see we're disturbing the gentleman. I'll marry you, depend on it. And you, your honor, don't be vexed with him. You see, he's only a baby. He's not had time to get much sense. Fedya shook his head. "'He's hot at home,' sounded the well-known voice, and Kalinich came into the cottage with a bunch of wild strawberries in his hands, which he had gathered for his friend Hoy. 
The old man gave him a warm welcome. I looked with surprise at Kalinich. I confess I had not expected such a delicate attention on the part of a peasant. That day I started out to hunt four hours later than usual, and the following three days I spent at Hors. My new friends interested me. I don't know how I had gained their confidence, but they began to talk to me without constraint. The two friends were not at all alike. Hor was a positive, practical man with a head for management, a rationalist. Kalinich, on the other hand, belonged to the order of idealists and dreamers, of romantic and enthusiastic spirits. Hor had a grasp of actuality. That is to say, he looked ahead, was saving a little money, kept on good terms with his master and the other authorities. Kalinich wore shoes of bast and lived from hand to mouth. Hor had reared a large family, who were obedient and united. Kalinich had once had a wife, whom he had been afraid of, and he had had no children. Hor took a very critical view of Mr. Politikin. Kalinich revered his master. Hor loved Kalinich and took protecting care of him. Kalinich loved and respected Hor. Hor spoke little, chuckled and thought for himself. Kalinich expressed himself with warmth, though he had not the flow of fine language of a smart factory hand. But Kalinich was endowed with powers which even Hor recognized. He could charm away hemorrhages, fits, madness and worms. His bees always did well. He had a light hand. Hor asked him before me to introduce a newly bought horse to his stable, and with scrupulous gravity Kalinich carried out the old skeptic's request. Kalinich was in closer contact with nature, Hor with men and society. Kalinich had no liking for argument and believed in everything blindly. Hor had reached even an ironical point of view of life. He had seen and experienced much, and I learned a good deal from him. For instance, from his account, I learned that every year before mowing time a small peculiar-looking cart makes its appearance in the villages. In this cart sits a man in a long coat who sells scythes. He charges one rouble twenty-five kopecks, a rouble and a half in notes, for ready money, four roubles if he gives credit. All the peasants, of course, take the scythes from him on credit. In two or three weeks he reappears and asks for the money. As the peasant has only just cut his oats, he is able to pay him. He goes with the merchant to the tavern, and there the debt is settled. Some landowners conceived the idea of buying the scythes themselves for ready money and letting the peasants have them on credit for the same price. But the peasants seemed dissatisfied, even dejected. They had deprived them of the pleasure of tapping the scythe and listening to the ring of the metal, turning it over and over in their hands and telling the scoundrelly city trader twenty times over, "Eh, hey, my friend, you won't take me in with your scythe. The same tricks are played over the sale of sickles, only with this difference that the women have a hand in the business then, and they sometimes drive the trader himself to the necessity, for their good, of course, of beating them but the women suffer most ill-treatment through the following circumstances. Contractors, for the supply of stuff for paper factories, 
employ for the purchase of rags a special class of men who some districts are called eagles such an eagle receives two hundred roubles in banknotes from the merchant and starts off in search of his prey but unlike the noble bird from whom he has derived his name he does not swoop down openly and boldly upon it quite the contrary the eagle has recourse to deceit and cunning he leaves his cart somewhere in a thicket near the village and goes himself to the backyards and back doors like someone casually passing or simply a tramp the women scent out his proximity and steal out to meet him the bargain is hurriedly concluded for a few copper half-piece a woman gives the eagle not only every useless rag she has but often even her husband's shirt and her own petticoat of late the women have thought it profitable to steal even from themselves and to sell hemp in the same way a great extension and improvement on the business for the eagles to meet this however the peasants have grown more cunning in their turn and on the slightest suspicion on the most distant rumours of the approach of an eagle they have prompt and sharp recourse to corrective and preventive measures and after all wasn't it disgraceful to sell the hemp was the men's business and they certainly do sell it not in the town they would have to drag it there themselves but to traders who come for it who for want of scales reckon forty handfuls to the pood and you know what a russian's hand is and what it can hold especially when it tries his best as i had no experience and was not country fed as they say in a role i heard plenty of such descriptions but hori was not always the narrator he questioned me too about many things he learned that i had been in foreign parts and his curiosity was aroused kalinich was not behind him in curiosity but he was more attracted by descriptions of nature of mountains and waterfalls extraordinary buildings and great towns hori was interested in questions of government and administration he went through everything in order well is that with them as it is with us so different come tell us your honour how is it ah lord thy be done kalinich would exclaim why i told my story hoy did not speak but frowned with his bushy eyebrows on the observing in times that wouldn't do for us still it's a good thing it's right all his inquiries i cannot recount and it is unnecessary but from our conversations i carried away one conviction which my readers will certainly not anticipate the conviction that peter the great was preeminently a russian russian above all in his reforms the russian is so convinced of his own strength and powers that he is not afraid of putting himself to severe strain he takes little interest in his past and looks boldly forward what is good he likes what is sensible he will have and where it comes from he does not care his vigorous sense is fond of ridiculing the thin theorizing of the german but in her words the germans are curious folk and he was ready to learn from them a little thanks to his exceptional position his practical independence Hoy told me a great deal which you could not 
screw or as peasants say grind with a grindstone out of any other man he did in fact understand his position talking with hor i for the first time listened to the simple wise discourse of the russian peasant his acquirements were in his own opinion wide enough but he could not read though kalinich could that ne'er-do-well has school-learning observed hor and his bees never die in the winter but haven't you had your children taught to read hori was silent a minute fedya can read and the others the others can't and why the old man made no answer and changed the subject however sensible as he was he had many prejudices and crotchets he despised women for instance from the depth of his soul and in his merry moments he amused himself by jesting at their expense his wife was a cross old woman who lay all day long on the stove incessantly grumbling and scolding her sons paid no attention to her but she kept her daughters-in-law in the fear of god very significantly the mother-in-law sings in the russian ballad what a son art thou to me what a head of a household thou dost not beat thy wife thou dost not beat thy young wife i once attempted to intercede for the daughters-in-law and tried to rouse her sympathy but he met me with a tranquil rejoinder why did i want to trouble about such trifles let the women fight it out if anything separates them it only makes it worse and it's not worth dirtying one's hands over sometimes the spiteful old woman got down from the stove and called the yard dog out of the hay crying here here doggy and then beat it on its thin back with a poker or she would stand in the porch and snarl as hoar expressed it at every one that passed she stood in awe of her husband though and would return at his command to her place on the stove it was specially curious to hear hor and kalinich dispute whenever mr politikin was touched upon there hor do let him alone kalinich would say but why doesn't he order some boots for you hor retorted eh boots what do i want with boots i'm a peasant well so am i a peasant but look and hor lifted up his leg and showed kalinich a boot which looked as if it had been cut out of a mammoth's hide as if you are like one of us replied kalinich well at least he might pay for your best shoes you go out hunting with him you must use a pair a day he does give me something for best shoes yes he gave you two coppers last year kalinich turned away in vexation but hor went off into a chuckle during which his little eyes completely disappeared kalinich sang rather sweetly and played a little on the balalaika hor was never weary of listening to him all at once he would let his head drop on one side and begin to chime in in a lugubrious voice he was particularly fond of the song ah my fate my fate fedya never lost an opportunity of making fun of his father saying what are you so mournful about old man but hor leaned his cheek on his hand covered his eyes and continued to mourn over his fate yet at other times there could not be a more active man he was always busy over something mending the cart patching up the fence looking after the harness 
he did not insist on a very high degree of cleanliness however and in answer to some remark of mine said once a cottage ought to smell as if it were lived in look i answered how clean it is in kalinich's bee house the bees would not leave their ails your honour he said with a sigh tell me he asked me another time have you an estate of your own yes far from here a hundred miles do you live on your land your honour yes but do you like your gun best i dare say yes i must confess i do and you do well your honour shoot grouse to your heart's content and change your bailiff pretty often on the fourth day mr politikin sent for me in the evening i was sorry to part from the old man i took my seat with kalinich in the trap well good-bye hor good luck to you i said good-bye fedya good-bye your honour good-bye don't forget us we started there was the first red glow of sunset it will be a fine day to-morrow i remarked looking at the clear sky no it will rain kalinich replied the ducks yonder are splashing and the scent of the grass is strong we drove into the copse kalinich began singing in an undertone as he was jolted up and down on the driver's seat and he kept gazing and gazing at the sunset the next day I left the hospitable roof of Mr. Politikin. End of Hori and Kalinich.